Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we It is Monday, January 25th, 2021, people. And if I sound different, let me start by saying I apologize. Uh, like you, I was watching some football, having a great day, having a few beverages, enjoying time. Tom Brady, father time is undefeated, except Tom Brady who's going to another Super Bowl. And then, right as I got set to record here at about, what, 10.30 Eastern time after that Chiefs beatdown of the Bills, I go to use the normal equipment that I normally use, and it didn't work. Don't know what's wrong, not a technician. So I got to get on the phone with some people tomorrow and figure out what is going on. Yes, I am recording through Zoom. Yes, I know that the sound quality is not what you've come to expect. And frankly, not what I have come to expect. And so I understand if there's a little bit of frustration, we're working through it, technical difficulties. This is part of just doing a show from home during quarantine. And I do hope to get it figured out soon because nobody is more frustrated with the sound quality than I am. But... As they say, the show must go on, and let's do it. Obviously, look, the big story of the weekend is the Super Bowl. We got Chiefs, we got Bucks, we got Brady, we got Mahomes. But mostly, we don't really talk the NFL on this show, so we'll stick to college sports. We'll stick to college basketball, where how about your boy, Coach K? We will obviously open up with the Coach K comments, which were idiotic, unacceptable. I don't want to hear people tell me, oh, it's not so bad. It was bad. We'll get into it momentarily. We will then actually transition. Jerry Stackhouse had some comments of his own that I think got a little bit brushed under the rug because of what Coach K said. I think in many ways it was actually worse. We'll talk about some other storylines. I got into a Twitter beef with the entire Villanova fan base. Had no idea that such a small school had so many angry fans. I'll explain what happened there. They're not a blue blood. We'll discuss. It's in reference to a Kansas story, which I'll get into. We'll wrap with a little bit of Tennessee hoops, which is at a crossroads, I think. Talk a little bit about that Kentucky LSU game. Then maybe, depending on time, take a break. Uh, and I do actually want to talk a little about that Tennessee football situation, which is getting interesting as Danny White is in with the as the AD. Tennessee appears to have stabilized in a way that I wasn't expecting, so credit to them. 
Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really do appreciate the support. We've gotten a few uh, new five-star ratings, which I will read in the coming days. we got a lot to get to today, so I'll skip it today. Make sure you're following on social media. I will add, I have started doing YouTube exclusive content. So I would encourage all of you, find me on YouTube, uh, Aaron Torres. When stuff breaks in between episodes, I already do three podcast episodes a week. I have been going to YouTube to do stuff in between. For example, when Danny White, the new Tennessee AD was hired, I did a big segment on it that ended up on YouTube exclusively. So I encourage you, go find the YouTube channel. It really will help you. You really will find it. Of course, if you have any questions for the show, finally, before we get to today's show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. It is Monday. As I said, I'm actually recording here Sunday night again for the last time. I do want to apologize about the sound quality. I wish it was better. I wish there was something I could do. Uh, but in the meantime, we're just going to have to roll with this for maybe an episode or two until I get it figured out. It will be addressed come Monday morning as quickly as I can. But hey, at least I'm doing better than Matt LaFleur on this Monday morning, huh? Don't normally talk NFL. We won't get into it. I watched all the games like you guys. Yes, I thought the Matt LaFleur field goal instead of going for it on fourth down was abominable. I thought it was unacceptable. I thought it was a terrible decision that made no sense in real time, in actual time, in fake time with analytics on and on. I also, by the way, thought Aaron Rodgers got a little bit of a pass on third down. I thought he easily could have potentially run for a touchdown or got them closer. Also think he did not have his best day overall, but congratulations to Tom Brady, who is headed to a Super Bowl again, 10th Super Bowl. First one was when I was in high school. I am now a middle-aged man. I got gray hair coming in and Tom Brady's continuing to go to Super Bowls, but uh, let's transition to to mostly the college sports that we talk about on this show. And obviously the big topic that came out of this weekend. And you know where I'm going and you know what I'm going to talk about. And it is Coach K going off on a student reporter. And I thought looking embarrassing, idiotic, disgusting. Uh, I'm actually going to play you the audio in a minute because I don't want there to be any confusion. I don't want anybody to accuse me of paraphrasing, of making it up, of blah, 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 this and that. Uh, but before we do, just, just a very brief kind of rundown. Uh, we've talked about Duke extensively on this show. They're not very good. Uh, they go they, they fall to five and five on Saturday with a loss to Louisville. And after the game in a, a pretty standard press conference, a Duke student reporter asked Coach K what I think is a pretty benign, innocent question. And I don't know if the word went off is the right kind of way to contextualize it, but I don't I don't think his answer was very uh, Duke, was very proper of him. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to pause really quick and I'm going to actually play you the audio so that you can hear it for yourself before I get into kind of my thoughts on what happened. Hi, Coach. I'm just curious as to what, what the next step forward here is for the team as you guys move into another week of basketball. Yeah, why don't we just evaluate this game? You know, I'm not into what our next step forward is right now. We just finished the hard-fought game. Yeah, I don't know if, like when... You, what what what's your major? What's your major at Duke? What's your hardest class? Econ. Okay, so say you just 
had the toughest econ test in the world. And when you walked out, somebody asked you, what's your next step? Uh, you see what I mean? Does that, you have some empathy and, and you know, just give us time to evaluate this game and then we'll, we'll figure out just like we always try to do. So yeah, I, I don't think that's very good. Um, I'm not gonna lie, reminds me of Shit's Creek, one of my favorite shows. Ew, David, ew. That's what that quote reminded me of. I felt kind of gross just even listening to Coach K trying to answer a question in that way and justify it. And so let's get into it. And I guess I should get into it very simply by saying that I was actually sort of surprised. It felt like there was a big initial backlash to the quote. And then immediately on social media, everybody did what they do on social media, which was to very simply say, oh, it wasn't that bad. You millennial kids, you're being soft. You're always uh, trying to tear down somebody at, at, at the top. So, so let's get into it. And what I would say is a couple things really quick. First of all, you know, what I do on this show is, is I have opinions, right? I talk about whatever is going on in the world of sports at that moment. I get some of them right. I get some of them completely wrong. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people that have played sports, that coach sports, that are going to say, oh, you don't understand. You never played. Well, first of all, I did play. I, I didn't play at the highest level, but I played throughout high school. I played all four years of high school. I actually played baseball and football. I've been coached. I don't mind hard coaching, but I'm also a member of the media, and I think that I can uh, kind of, uh, you know, give a different perspective on this from somebody that is in the media, from somebody that has asked hard questions or frankly dumb questions, who has gotten yelled at and scolded by uh, uh, coaches and players and things like that. Um, and I do just also wonder how many people maybe didn't hear that audio uh, until after the initial backlash and were expecting something much worse. But I do also think what can be true is that just because Coach K didn't yell and scream at the kid, it doesn't mean that it didn't sound bad. And so why I think it's bad is for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, the, it is a student reporter, but I'm going to go ahead and skip that for the moment in time because I don't think that reporters, I don't think anyone in any uh, walk of life should be judged differently uh, based on uh, you know arbitrary criteria, right? I would want to be a, a male reporter to be uh, treated the same way as a female reporter, a student reporter to be treated the same way as an adult reporter, um, African-American versus Latino versus Asian versus white. I, I want everybody to be treated the same. But where I want to start is if this was a dumb question, then I would have, be, have no problem with Coach K's response. But that is the first and most important part. This was not a dumb question. The poor kid asked Coach K, how do you plan on moving on after what happened today? That is the most basic reporter 101 question that you can possibly ask. I guess it's number two. The first question is, Coach, what went wrong? And then the second is, how do you get better? And for those of you saying, oh, now's not the time after a tough loss, because that's what I got a lot of. You don't ask somebody about this after a tough loss. The locker room's in a bad place. Well, guess what? You know why I know it's not a dumb question? Because I guarantee with 100% certainty that it's what Coach K told his players. You know how I know? Because I have been in those locker rooms. I've been a player. I've been a media member. I've never once heard a coach after a tough loss say to his players, you know what, guys? We could move on. 
But instead of moving on, let's just sit here and sulk. Let's sit here and feel bad for ourselves. No, that's never happened. It's never, I've never heard a coach say, guys, we could move on, tough loss, but let's sit here and sulk. That doesn't happen. What a coach says to his team is, guys, that was tough. It was unfortunate. I could have been better. Maybe whatever. We didn't play hard enough. We didn't do that. But but the coach always says, all right, we got to move on to the next one. So first of all, the reason I know it wasn't a dumb question, the reason that I will side with this student reporter, not because he's a student, but because it was a perfectly valid question. It is the number two question that you ask after a game. What went wrong? How do you get it better? How do you move, improve and move forward? And I know that for a fact, because if you remember, uh, every time that you played sports when you were a kid, never once did the coach say, sit here and sulk. They said, we have to move on. That's what the reporter was asking about. And I have no problems with that at all. The second reason that I thought it was just a scummy, disgusting, despicable uh, answer. First of all, Coach K, just stop lecturing us all the time. But two, this bogus analogy about, well, imagine the, the toughest econ test you've ever taken. And imagine how you feel. What would you want to be like asked after that? Um, Coach K, if, you, if that analogy holds true, if your basic argument is after the toughest econ test you've ever taken, you don't want to be asked about what's next. Okay, I can live with that. If this was the toughest game that you had ever coached, if this was a national championship game, I get it. You probably don't want to ask what's next. How do you get better? Um, if this was a, a knockout game in an NCAA tournament, Coach K, who to his credit is very accomplished, has coached in gold medal games in the Olympics. If he had ever lost in the Olympics, uh, you probably don't ask, okay, coach, so in four years, what do you got to do to win this one next time? But this was a loss against Louisville in the middle of the ACC season. And so to equate it to the hardest test you've ever taken or this student has ever taken is to analogize that this was, in fact, the toughest game that Coach K has ever quoted. And unless I'm missing something from that Hall of Fame career that includes five national championships, you know, 15 or whatever, Final Fours, a couple gold medal games, I don't think this was the toughest game that he's ever coached in. Finally, what I would say is, and this is the part that really kind of bothered me, is that people that want to say, oh, it wasn't so bad. Let me ask you a simple question. If Dick Vitale had asked that same question in a post-game interview, if Jay Billis had asked that interview question in a post-game interview, would Coach K have answered the same way? I think we all know the answer, and I think we know the answer is absolutely not. Coach K, um, it, you know, if it was Jay Billis, if it was Jay Williams, if it was Dick Vitale, if it was Jimmy Dykes, if it was Sean Farnham, if it was Holly Rowe, Coach K would have handled that question, which was a perfectly reasonable question. He would not have responded in that way. And that's what bothers me. I know I opened by saying I'm not defending the kid because he's a kid, but it was so clear to me that Coach K was just trying to bully this kid because he feels bad about how bad he's coaching this team, how bad this season has been. And I think this bottom line goes back to what I've been telling you for two or three months now. I don't think Coach K wants to coach this season. And I think this is a symptom of that. We go back to when Coach K tried to cancel the season. What did I tell you then? Coach K was one of the last coaches in college basketball to bring back his team over the summer. 
You could bring back co uh, your players in, in June, in early July. I, again, I, I went through the whole cycle, but I'm pretty sure Arkansas had them back June 1. Texas Tech, June 1. Kentucky, middle of Ju June, maybe early July. I can't remember. But the point was, you could have your athletes back in June. Coach K waited until August to bring them back. And part of it is, yes, he is in his 70s. I get it. If he doesn't feel comfortable, that's fine, but he shouldn't be ruining it for the rest of us. But when you add that in with the fact that he brought his players back late, that he was the number one advocate for having the NCAA tournament with all 346 teams because he didn't want to travel to play out of conference games. And when you add it in with the fact that he also tried to cancel the season two weeks ago or three weeks ago or a month ago or whatever it was, I just think it's very clear that Coach K does not want to be part of this season. But it did bother me that he went after this kid. It did bother me that people, by the way, defended him. What kind of lesson are you trying to teach this kid? Don't ask questions. Don't be, you know, like, like it was a perfectly valid question. And again, you guys know me. I'm not Mr. Defend the Media at All Cost guy. I'm the guy that came on here and crushed the media for two or three months straight when they were trying to get college football canceled. I rarely defend the media, but it was a perfectly valid question. I'll say this, man. I know he's a student reporter, whatever. It's hard that first time to get on the mic and ask a question. And for the first one to get the response like that, I just thought it was so classless from Coach K. And don't tell me it wasn't that bad. Is it a learning experience for this kid? Yeah, it is. That sometimes no matter what you say, you're going to get a snarky response from people. But I thought it was classless from Coach K. I thought it was embarrassing from Coach K. And I think it's a reflection that he knows his team stinks. He knows he's not doing a good job coaching his team. And he's trying to take it out on everybody else. Uh, by the way, I would also add, as we transition to some other stuff, two kind of quick byproducts that came out of that Duke game that I thought, well, well, really from this Coach K controversy that I thought were overshadowed. First of all, I thought it was a really good win for Louisville. And I want to say this really quick. I want to give Chris Mack, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, I've tried to get him back on. I don't know if he didn't like me or what, um, but I've tried to get him back on since. I think Chris Mack is doing an incredible coaching job this year with Louisville. Now, what I would say is, you know, a Louisville fan listening would sit there and say, well, you know, they lost two straight coming into this one. And how good are we really? You know, you look at this Louisville team. Of their top seven scorers, five of them did not play for Louisville last year. And what do I mean by that? Of Louisville's top seven scorers, five of them are either transfers, freshmen, or redshirt players. And so I, I know it wasn't the prettiest win, but Louisville, as I record here on Sunday night, is 10-3 and three overall, 5-2 and two in the ACC. They're in third place behind Virginia, behind Florida State, and they're tied with Virginia Tech in third place. And I think Chris Mack is doing an incredible job. I want to give him credit because I think he's actually done really well considering just how tough this season has been. They do also have some really nice wins. They obviously have now beaten Duke and Kentucky. They beat Virginia Tech, which is ranked. They beat, um, they beat, excuse me, Pitt, which is playing really well. So shout out to Chris Mack. I think he's doing a really good job. Secondly, with Louisville, you want to give shout outs. And where Aaron was wrong, remember I do that every fall where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I'll give you one I was wrong on. How about Louisville star player Carleek Jones, okay? So for people who don't know all these little beefs that I get into with everybody, and I'm going to get into one I got in with Villanova fans in a minute, uh, Carly Jones is a transfer from Radford, okay, was the big South player of the year last offseason. 
And over the course of the summer, I kind of track all these transfers, collegebasketballtransfers.com. If you ever want to check out the page, I kind of run it with a couple of buddies just to keep everybody abreast of what's going on in the transfer market. And when Carly Jones transferred to Louisville, uh, a lot of reporters, good reporters, guys I respect, Jeff Borzello, ESPN, Jeff Goodman, on and on and on and on and on. Um, they said this might be one of the best transfers in college basketball. And I said the opposite. I said, I have seen uh, all of these kids transfer up from the small schools and have minimal to no impact at the high major level, right? You go back to last year, uh, Kentucky with, with Nate Sestina, uh, good role player, but he was a star at his last spot. He ain't going to be a star at Kentucky. Louisville has had a few of these guys. Christian Cunningham. Uh, what was the guy? Lamar Fresh Kimball. There's been a lot of guys that have transferred up. North Carolina had this problem last year. Christian Keeling and what was the other kid's name? Justin Pierce, who transferred up, who were supposed to be the Sabres, and they just could not compete at the ACC level. So when Carly Jones transferred, I think I had him 30th or so on my transfer list coming into the season. Uh, yeah, I was wrong. He might be the single best player in the transfer market that transferred last offseason, currently leading Louisville with over 18 points per game, almost five assists per game, five rebounds per game. And he has been a total revelation. I would argue he should probably be ACC player of the year right now when I look at that conference. And I don't think Virginia has any one-star player that's more deserving. Florida State, maybe argue Justin Champagny. In, uh, in Pitt, and I keep saying his name wrong. I apologize, any Pitt fans that may be listening. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that I, I just think that this kid has been just such an incredible story for this team. And he had 24 points against Duke. He made all the plays down the stretch, played all 40 minutes. And I thought his performance largely got overshadowed because of Coach K's comments. And finally, what I would also say is very quickly, I also thought Coach K's comments were actually uh, good for one person in particular, and that's a little guy named Jerry Stackhouse, the head coach at Vanderbilt, okay? So I don't know if you saw uh, Jerry Stackhouse's comments following his team's loss to Arkansas. They get blown out 92-71. We got a lot of Arkansas fans who listen. Um, and, you know, this guy just went off on his team after the game. And so if you missed it, I'm going to, you know, try to paraphrase some of this. I'm not, there's no audio that I know of like Coach K, but then also on top of that, I mean, he just went after some of his guys when it came to how they are playing and all of that stuff. And obviously, look, I get it. You're 0-5 in the SEC. You're really struggling, uh, but there's no excuse for going after his players the way that he did. And so let me see if I can find some of these quotes. So this is one of his quotes. We've got to clean some things up, got to find some guys who want to play basketball. Right now, we got some guys that don't want to play no damn basketball. We've got to figure out that sooner rather than later, I'd rather go with young guys and Akeem and those guys, give them a chance. We've got guys who've been here four or five years and they play 20 minutes and got one offensive rebound and one defensive rebound. We can't win any games like that. We've got to find some guys that want to play. There were also some comments that I don't know that I can find right here off the top of my head in which he does call out some individual players. And so what I'll tell you guys is this. I think two things can be true. One, I talked a minute ago with the Coach K stuff about, you know, soft millennials and, you know, you can't criticize anybody. I will tell you this. I talked to two people in college basketball on Saturday and early Sunday that both told me that they thought 
the Jerry Stackhouse comments were much worse than the Coach K comments. And I understand it's two different people. Coach K is going after a media member. Jerry Stackhouse is going after his own players. But the one thing in coaching that I can definitively tell you, it's kind of like the code of honor that you take. You know, you put your hand on the Bible and you kind of just say like, look, I'm not going to go after my players publicly. Privately, I may go after my players. Privately, I'm going to coach them hard. But I'm not going to go after them publicly. I'm not going to name them by name, which Jerry Stackhouse did, even if I couldn't find the exact quote. And where a lot of people had some frustration is two things. First of all, with naming your players, and first of all, calling out your players individually, um, it's a reflection on you, Jerry Stackhouse. And I'm not like Mr. Crush Jerry Stackhouse. I think he's actually a very sharp basketball mind. He had a ton of success, obviously, not only as a player, but as a coach at the professional level. But the bigger issue is at the college level, he has not had success. 11 and 20, 21 last year, four and seven this year. Um, and so at a certain point, I understand you didn't inherit much from Bryce Drew, but at a certain point, and by the way, you did inherit stuff, but there's been injuries. I get it. But at a certain point, if your team is this bad, it is kind of a reflection on you, right? Like, like I had a coach tell me on, I guess it was Saturday night before I did my radio show. He told me point blank. He said, if a teacher has a full class of students and every single one of those students fails one of their tests, that's not on the students, that's on the teacher. And right now, Jerry Stackhouse, all your kids are failing the test every time they go on the court. And so that's a reflection on you. I think the second thing and the bigger issue is I think it's going to hurt him in recruiting. You don't think when he tries to go into a home that, uh, and I know you can't go into homes right now, but you kind of get the point. Um, you don't think that other schools are going to say, yeah, you can send your kid there. And Stack is a, a, an NBA legend, all-star, great academics at Vanderbilt, but he's going to crush your kid publicly. Imagine what he's saying to him privately. So I really do think this could hurt Jerry Stackhouse in recruiting, but I would also kind of wrap on this. And I want to get to some of the Villanova stuff, the Kansas stuff, the Kentucky stuff, the Tennessee stuff. Um, what I would say with that is that, uh, you know, for people who say, uh, well, you know, it's going to hurt in recruiting. I don't know how much longer he'll be recruiting. This is just speculation on my part, but I don't even know if I said this publicly, but when he was hired, I was very critical of it. You can still go find the tweets, but if you remember, Bryce Drew was fired by a, an AD at Vanderbilt who's no longer there, who had come from the G League. And when he hired Jerry Stackhouse, it was a pretty clear sign of nepotism to me. Essentially, the AD gets the job and he wants to bring in his guy. Just one problem. Jerry Stackhouse had never been a head coach at the college level, had never coached at the college level, had never been involved at the college level since his playing days. And so when Jerry Stackhouse took this job, I said, I don't think it's going to work. Never been at the college level. Is he going to do, is, is he going to be like most of these NBA star players that have come back down to the college level to coach? Is he going to be committed to recruiting? Is he going to be committed to working hard? Is he going to be committed um, to, to doing the things you need to do to be successful in college basketball? And I always say, I don't blame these guys. If I had made a hundred million dollars as a professional basketball player, I don't know that I'd be excited to sit on some Zoom call with some 16-year-old kid asking me about how many shots I'm going to get when I come to Vanderbilt. Uh, if I made $100 million, I know, don't know how excited I'd be to go sit in a sweaty gym at Peach Jam when all my buddies are going to the Bahamas for two or three weeks in the summertime. 
And so when Stack was hired, I kind of said, I don't think it's going to work because I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to do what it's going to take to have success at the college level. And sure enough, by the way, there are guys that do it. Penny Hardaway recruits hard. Jawan Howard has been incredible. I think he's the national coach of the year. But for the most part, I think a lot of these guys just aren't willing to put in the work. And from what I've heard about Jerry Stackhouse, and I, I know some people that have worked for him, um, I don't think he's willing to put in the work. I think he is a very smart basketball mind, has had success at the, high, at the uh, professional level. I don't think he's willing to recruit. I don't think he wants to recruit. He claims he wants to develop players within the system. Well, guess what? You don't want to recruit and you want to develop players over a four or five year period. Good luck in the SEC coaching against John Calipari every year. Good luck in the SEC coaching against Rick Barnes every year. Good luck in the SEC where Nate Oates and Eric Musselman and Will Wade are bulldogs on the recruiting trail and are always trying to upgrade their rosters. Where Buzz Williams is as good as developing players as anybody. Good luck with that. So I'm just saying, Jerry Stackhouse, you know, we talked about it with Coach K kind of being a symptom to the problem. I'm just telling you, I don't think Stackhouse is going to be at Vandy very long. I would not be surprised if he's out this year, but it was crazy. I didn't even mention, by the way, he was attacking. Uh, apparently, somebody shared DMs where he was attacking fans. But I'm just telling you, man, it is not going to end well uh, for Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. And Saturday was not a very good reflection on him. All right, I do want to get to some other topics here momentarily. I want to talk a little bit about Indiana. Wild week for them. Beat a top five Iowa team. Lose at home to Rutgers. My guy, Archie Miller. Uh, things not going very well for him. I want to talk about Tennessee. My guy, Rick Barnes. Things not going very well for him. And I'll probably wrap on a little Tennessee football. But I want to start. Well, I don't want to start because I just did Duke and I did Jerry Stackhouse. Another little Twitter beef for Torres. And if you follow this po podcast, you know. Nobody gets in obscure beefs with obscure people and fan bases quite like Torres. There was my run-in with Taylor Hicks, the American Idol winner. He, 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 he called me out. He criticized me. Then we're basically best friends. He's been on the podcast a couple times. There was also my beef with the entire country of Australia. Not sure if you heard about that one, but we actually made up on that. So that's good. No big deal. My latest beef. It is with a fan base that I had no idea that was so angry, but it is Villanova fans who just attacked me on Saturday. And it's kind of a funny story. It was over this conversation about can Villanova be a blue blood? Can they not be? Sorry, Nova fans. I'm sure you're very smart and you're very happy about your success in basketball. You're not a blue blood. But let me explain this and let me get this off my chest because if I don't, you guys sometimes, let me say this I'm calm, serenity now. Serenity Torres, okay? But sometimes this podcast is a vent session, a, a, a therapy session. I get on my couch and I just get stuff off my chest. So let me get this off my chest because Villanova fans drove me crazy the last 48 hours or so. But the backstory is really kind of simple. I was just doing the thing that I do on Saturday. I was sitting around watching college basketball. I love it. Nothing's better. Go back to last April when there was no sports. I'll take a bad Mountain West game over what I had in April, May, and June of last year. And so I'm sitting there, Kansas isn't playing well. I actually thought Kansas was going to end up being a topic on this show. And I guess in a weird way, it kind of became one because after Kansas lost its third straight, um, I put out this tweet that I thought was pretty innocent. It just said something like, man, tough year for the Blue Bloods. Duke and Kentucky might miss the NCAA tournament. UNC has been good, but not great. Kansas is struggling. Best blue blood going right now is UCLA, which is, you know, at the time they had won like nine in a row. 
And of course, as soon as I put out the tweet, I leave my computer, don't think anything of it, go back to watching games, and what happens? Writer from the, I think it's the New York Post or the New York Times tweets out, uh, bro, best blue blood is obviously Villanova. And I come back and I say, like, very simply, like, look, dude, respect Jay Wright. He's incredible. But you can't just call yourself a blue blood, okay? Villanova, you can't just call yourself a blue blood just like no other program can call themselves a blue blood. Uh, teams that are super successful right now, Gonzaga, Virginia, can't call themselves blue bloods. Teams that have been good the last 15, 20 years uh, can't call themselves blue bloods. Uh, Michigan State, Louisville, Arizona, Syracuse, my UConn Huskies, can't call yourself blue bloods. Uh, but apparently that wasn't good enough for Villanova fans because for the next like six hours until the Coach K stuff blew up, my DMs and Twitter was nothing but you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. What do you what do you think? You you're an embarrassment to college basketball. Who do you think you are? Here's just one example, by the way, from Sink or Swim, and that's Sink C-I-N-C, who says, Well, here it is, folks. The dumbest tweet you'll read all day. Get this man a college basketball history book. Well, let me tell you something, Villanova fans. And again, I'm just in therapy session mode now. Villanova fans, I know you've been relevant for like 30 seconds here on the national college basketball scene. And seriously, congratulate, congratulations about that. That's awesome. Um, but let me give you, sink or swim, a little definition. And so just for fun, I actually did go up and see what the definition of blue blood is, okay? And so... Blue blood, by definition, according to Google, and you know everything on the internet is true, a blue blood is an aristocrat. Blue bloods come from privileged, noble families that are wealthy and powerful. That's the definition. And in a lot of ways, it's applicable to college basketball. When you talk about blue bloods, what you're talking about is the programs that essentially have been relevant since the history of college basketball has begun, okay? You don't get to be a blue blood after 30 seconds and one final four run. In my opinion, there are, and I think it's not even my opinion, I think it's pretty universal to anybody that actually understands college basketball and not some Villanova fan that started paying attention two years ago because your team got good. In my opinion, there are at best six true blue bloods in college basketball. Kansas is a blue blood. Kentucky is a blue blood. North Carolina is a blue blood. UCLA is a blue blood. Indiana, despite being irrelevant for the last 30 years, is a blue blood. And I would argue Duke is a blue blood. And I think so, even Duke is a little bit sketchy because basically they, they weren't great before Coach K got there. Now, I would argue, first of all, Coach K has been there 41 years now. He got there in 1980. Um, and they've basically been relevant since. But two, even before he got there, they went to multiple Final Fours. And so I think most people consider them a blue blood, but even them are sort of on the fringe. But like I said a minute ago, you know who's not a blue blood? Syracuse isn't a blue blood. UConn, my alma mater, who I love, is not a blue blood. Michigan State, Michigan, Louisville, Arizona, not blue bloods. And you know who definitely isn't a blue blood? Villanova. And so to all the Villanova fans listening, let me explain something. First of all, this idea, I got so much from Villanova fans. Well, um, don't you understand? We've been relevant for like the last, we've been like the best program in college basketball for like the last 10 years. Don't you know that? One, yes, I know that. I watch the sport. It's great. But first of all, you don't get to call, just call, first of all, let's even backtrack. You don't just get to call yourself a blue blood because you're good. Um, you know, 
Gonzaga is awesome this year. Are they a blue blood? Does Baylor now become a blue blood because they're awesome the last two years? What happens with a school like Texas Tech? Um, do they become a blue blood in 2018 and 2019 because they made a Elite Eight and a Final Four run? But what about last year when they might not have made the tournament? Would they, are they a blue blood in 2018, 2019, but not 2020? No, of course not. That makes no sense. So first of all, stop just arbitrarily deciding the criteria, okay? Um, this isn't a Planet Fitness membership, as I said on Twitter. You don't just get to pick it up and drop it as you go. We're talking 60, 70, 80 years of history when we're talking about these Blue Blood programs. And so when all these Villanova fans, well, what would you call us being the most successful program in the last 10 or 12 years? I'd call you the most successful program in the last 10 years. Doesn't make you a blue blood. Just in the same way, it doesn't mean that Indiana isn't a blue blood because they haven't been very good in a long, long time. By the way, Villanova fans, let me say this on top of everything. Your history isn't even as good as people as you think. Villanova fans, how can you include Indiana in that group? Well, first of all, I looked it up just for fun. Indiana has 22 conference titles. Villanova has 13. Villanova's 13 conference titles, six of them have happened in the last six years, seven years, excuse me. Indiana, five national titles, Villanova, three. So even if we're talking about, uh, you know, the history of college basketball, which you want to have a seat at the table at, Indiana, more national championships, almost double the conference titles. So stop it, okay? And I'm not going to keep going on. I'm not going to keep going on forever. But let me just kind of wrap on two quick things here with this Villanova thing because it's the most idiotic thing, and I can't believe I'm still talking about it. But first of all, um, one, you don't get to decide. You don't just get to determine year in and year out whether you qualify as blue blood status or not. Like I said, uh, Texas Tech, when they go to a Final Four, doesn't become a blue blood and then lose it the next year when they miss the NCAA tournament. Secondly, as I said, there are, first of all, and there are, the other thing I would add, there are a lot of teams, if we're just going to start adding Blue Bloods, there's a lot of teams that are in line ahead of Villanova. Sorry, but it's true. Michigan State's been irrelevant, or been relevant, excuse me, for 45 years, basically without any drop-off. They get it to the front of the line, Villanova fans. Syracuse, Less national championships, but has been relevant a lot longer than you have. Sorry, Villanova fans. It's a fact. Uh, Louisville, same number of national championships. If you include the vacated one, we're not going to talk about that. Three, they've been more relevant. How about this? I'm a UConn alum. Four national championships more than you. More conference titles. Same number of national championships over the last 10 years. Nobody calls UConn a blue blood. So cut it out, Villanova fans. The other thing I'd say, by the way, Leonard Hamilton, Florida State coach, been on this podcast, hoping to get him on again soon. You know what he calls Florida State? He calls them a new blood, new blood, N-E-W, because what he says is we'll never be a blue blood. We're Florida State. We can't be. It's impossible. In the same way that if Wake Forest gets good in football, they're not going to be a blue blood because Florida State has 40 years of track record on them. So I had to get that off my chest because – I never thought I'd deal. I never thought I'd have Villanova fans attacking me left and right uh, over blue blood. Imagine I'm just sitting there watching basketball and I got Villanova fans attacking me over being a blue blood. That was maybe my favorite part was uh, you're just doing this for attention. Bro, there's a lot of great ways to get attention without talking about blue bloods on a Saturday in college basketball. All right. Glad I got that off my chest. Uh, and let's start to wrap up here. 
And let's wrap up, uh, you know, on a pseudo unfortunate note with one of those programs I was just talking about, and that's the University of Indiana, where last four or five days has been about as big of a roller coaster as you can possibly imagine. Thursday night, Indiana goes to Iowa, ranked number four in the country on this insane winning streak. And Indiana plays about as well as anybody has played all season long. They beat Iowa 81-69. They're making three-pointers. They had a 12-minute stretch where they held Iowa without a field goal, which is a surreal, incredible stat. Maybe the most impressive 12-minute stretch anybody has played all season. Then they go ahead Sunday, return to Assembly Hall, and they lose to Rutgers a team that is now three and six with the win in the big 10 was on a five game losing streak. Hadn't won a single game in the month of January. Um, and it just kind of continues a trend under Archie Miller, which is one step forward, two steps back, no consistency. And I think we're getting to a point where I am starting to see Indiana fans frustrations with this program. And before we go forward, like, I got to do the thing that I have to do sometimes, which is to say that, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I have had Archie Miller on before. I really like Archie Miller. I really respect the hell out of him. I actually think he's a great coach. He's been great to me, was great to spend time joining me on this podcast. Um, and I think that to a degree, I've actually defended him quite a bit on this show. But I think most of it has been justified. You know, year one, you kind of go through the process of, um, you know, taking over a program, had no problem with what happened there. Year two was the Romeo Langford era. And I think that was the first year I did this podcast. And for old school listeners, you know that in that year, everybody was, oh, Romeo Langford, Indiana's wasting Romeo Langford's one year. And I kind of sat there and said, is Indiana wasting Romeo Langford's one year? Because I think he's kind of the problem here. And everybody was quick to blame the coaching staff and the other players. And I said, Romeo Langford isn't very good. And so I defended Archie Miller there. And I defended him last year when Joe Lenardi came after him and said he wasn't an NCAA tournament team. I said, yeah, he is. Look at the resume. They beat Florida State, who was an NCAA tournament team. They beat UConn, who was playing well. They beat, I forget who now, in the Big Ten. But they beat Michigan State and this team and that team and this team and that team. And so I've defended Archie Miller. And to a degree, I'll continue to defend him because, first of all, I think it's just really, really, really tough in the Big Ten right now. I think for anyone to build any kind of momentum in this conference is tough. I mean, outside of Michigan, I mean, who who are you looking at saying that team is on an insane win streak, right? Michigan State, one of the most consistent programs in college basketball, is two and four in the conference right now. Wisconsin just lost over the weekend to Ohio State, and Wisconsin returned five starters off last year's team. Illinois, which is maybe one of the five most talented starting fives in college basketball, is six and three. And so I'll defend Archie Miller in the sense that I think it's really hard to get any momentum going in the Big Ten. But what I would also say is that I do think that, you know, there's only so much that I can defend the guy, right? And I do under, I am starting to understand the frustration of Indiana fans. As Indiana, as I record here on Sunday night, Indiana's sitting there at nine and seven overall, seventh in the Big Ten. And like I said, they lost to a they lost to a Rutgers team 
that was on a five-game losing streak and hadn't won since January. That's bad enough. They lose at home, and again, it is coming off that Iowa win, and I think that's the single biggest frustration of Indiana fans right now. You can't get any consistency. You can't, it appears, and I don't know what goes on in that program every day, but you can't, for whatever reason, handle success. Jeff Borzello from um, from ESPN put out a great stat on Sunday afternoon after the loss. Archie Miller in games after Indiana has beaten an AP top 25 team under Archie Miller. They've played, they've won 11 games against top 25 teams, which is really good. In the game that follows that game, they are two and nine overall straight up in games after they beat a top 25 team. And that is where I think so much of the frustration of Indiana fans is. There is no consistency. There is no rhyme or reason to this stuff. And you're losing to teams that, frankly, Indiana shouldn't lose to. It's one thing if you go on the road and lose at an Iowa. It's one thing if you go on the road and lose at a Wisconsin, another team that Indiana played really well. Illinois is really good. Indiana lost at Illinois. But Rutgers is a game at home that you should have, especially coming off of a big win. You can't have that letdown. And I think the bigger frustration isn't just the loss, and it isn't just that it happened to a team that you shouldn't have lost to. But I think what, what, what's becoming the frustration now is this is year four, right? You have very little to no excuses. Um, first of all, you know, one, it's year four. You got all your own guys. I could be mistaken. I think there might be one guy left on the roster who was recruited by Tom Crean. But other than that, it's all Archie Miller's guys. And I'm not saying that Archie Miller uses that as an excuse. And, and you know, he's throwing players under the bus like, um, like, uh, like Jerry Stackhouse did the other day. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is you just can't use that as an excuse. You have your guys in. Two, you got guys that are good. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis might be one of the two or three best players in the Big Ten. You know, you get past Luca Garza, he's probably the best big man in that conference. He's averaging 21 and 9. He's been awesome. You got a junior point guard in Rob Finnessy. You got Race Thompson, who's playing well. You got Armand Franklin. You got Jerome Hunter. I mean, you just got good basketball players. I'm not saying you got to win every game, but to be nine and seven at this point and seventh in the Big Ten, not ideal. You haven't had any major injuries this year as well. I mean, in years past, last year, Rob Finnessy gets hurt. He completely throws off the whole makeup of the team. Don't have that this year. There's some tactical stuff I don't really want to get into I mean they don't make enough threes that kind of stuff but I think that's really what it comes down to you're recruiting at a really high level you've signed the last three Indiana uh you know Gatorade players of the year you don't have injuries it's just about consistency and so I'm not going to sit here and say Archie Miller has to be fired he'll never figure it out I, I don't believe that the guy was awesome at Dayton and I do think he's ultimately going to figure it out but what I will say is it is becoming harder and harder for me to justify defending him when, again, you're nine and seven, you're seventh in the Big Ten, but it's not that. It's that you're losing the games that you shouldn't win, okay? You lose to Rutgers over the weekend after that impressive win over Iowa. You lose to uh, Northwestern early in Big Ten play to go to 0-1. And here's the crazy part. It doesn't get any easier for Indiana going forward. This was the easy one against Rutgers on Sunday. They now were supposed to play at Michigan, but they're not playing Michigan because Michigan is on a pause. We might get to that at the end. Uh, Illinois, Iowa are the next two. So 
not here to crush Archie Miller or not. But I, I, I will say I sympathize with Indiana fans because at this point, a performance like Sunday, not excusable. That's a game you got to win. Another team that's struggling, another friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, uh, Rick Barnes of Tennessee. And, you know, the Rick Barnes stuff, I think it's a little bit different. He obviously has a great track record already at Tennessee. Uh, won an SEC regular season title a few years back with Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. Took him to a sweet 16. So he has had success. Um, but Tennessee's not playing very well right now. And it's funny, right, because most of the college basketball conversation this year, right, has been who's number three. I think there's really three big topics. Can anyone beat Gonzaga or Baylor? Are, are Kentucky and Duke both going to miss the NCAA tournament? And finally, um, who's number three? Who's number three besides Gonzaga and Baylor? And we made the argument for Michigan, and we made the argument for Texas, and I think I made it for Wisconsin at some point. But I've also made it for Tennessee. Well, I think it's time to officially stop making the argument for Tennessee because as we sit here at uh, the, you know, the, the, the end stages of January, and by the way, for people who are jumping around, I do want to apologize again for the sound quality of this show. Um, I know people listening are like, dude, we've been listening for 35 minutes now, but you know, it's just one of those deals. My equipment broke. I'm recording through zoom. I hope I don't have to do this again, but please be patient. But Anyway, let's get back to Tennessee, where they took a second straight loss over the weekend. This one to Missouri. They lost to Florida earlier in the week. And I'll just be honest, this team isn't playing very well right now. And again, I'll defend Rick Barnes, just like I did Archie Miller a minute ago, to a degree. I do think that if you look at it in the big picture, Florida and Missouri are both probably tournament teams. But I also think it'd be impossible to argue that Tennessee doesn't has real issues right now. I mean, you look at Tennessee, first of all, the out-of-conference schedule – they essentially maybe played no teams that will make the NCAA tournament. And I get it. They were on a pause to open the season. They were supposed to play Gonzaga. They were supposed to play some other big games. They weren't able to make it happen. Um, but they didn't play very many quality teams in the out of conference. And then in the in-conference, you really look at after that Missouri game to open conference play. I mean, you're looking at about a seven-game stretch where they haven't been great. Three and three overall. And I think the Arkansas game, you could argue – that they probably were outplayed. They just had a little bit, few more bullets in the tank than Arkansas. Arkansas beat themselves largely, a lot of turnovers. Texas A&M, they were good, but not great. Vandy, they beat, but Vandy stinks. Um, and then you have the back-to-back -back losses. And so when I look at this team, I think it's fair to say, I think they'll be fine in the bigger picture. But I do think in the small picture, I think there's concerns. I think the first concern for Tennessee, I don't really know how many guys they have that can create their own offense. And it's funny because we spent in the offseason talking about a lot of time talking about how deep Tennessee is, how they can play 8, 9, 10, 11 guys. But when I watch them, I kind of sit there and say, I don't think any of their guys can just go get a bucket when they absolutely need to. They have a lot of individually talented players, but it's within the context of the offense. John Fulkerson cannot just go get himself a basket. Um, Eve Pons cannot go himself and get, him, get himself a basket. Josiah Jordan James can't do that. Santiago Vescovi can't do that. Um, I would argue Keon Johnson, while an NBA player for sure in the future, he can't do that right now. Now, in defense of Tennessee, I would also say that I do think that if you give him time, Jaden Springer is the player that can do that the best on this team, and he is out with injury right now, so he will come back. But that is a problem right now. Secondly, I'll tell this. For a team that was touted as one of the best defensive teams in college basketball, something that I believe, by the way, 
Um, they certainly haven't played like it the last few games. Gave up 75 to 4 to 73 to Missouri. They're giving up 74 points per game the last two. This for a team that opened SEC play by giving up 53 at Missouri. They've given up 74 the last two games. And then finally, well, not finally, but they've been really careless with the basketball, unacceptable for a veteran team, 18 turnovers against Missouri. And then to the final point, they just don't seem to be having very much fun. And you watch them. They're not playing with any energy. They're not playing with any excitement. I mean, look, you can criticize a lot of teams. Duke, uh, for all I criticize, they were up and yelling and screaming after every big play on Saturday against Louisville. Uh, Kentucky, for all their struggles, the players are, are you know, uh, they're engaged on the bench. They're excited, throwing down dunks against LSU on Saturday. But Tennessee? Tennessee, those guys aren't playing with very much energy and excitement. And I don't know exactly what it is. And it's funny, right? Because I come on this podcast, and I've said this before, I try to talk about a topic and then give you an answer. Well, this is happening because of X, and to fix it, you got to do Y. With Tennessee, I don't know what that answer is. And I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why they're not playing with very much energy. Is it, you know, the possibility that there's pressure for being the SEC favorite in the preseason and that winning isn't fun anymore? I think that's absolutely a possibility. Or is it possible there's too many guys? I mean, I do think it's kind of crazy. I mean, we talked about this depth, 10, 11 players, but we're now in the middle of the season. You don't want to be playing that many guys if you don't have to. And so is it rotations? Is it guys not knowing how they fit in? You know, I saw Victor Bailey, who's their leading scorer, came off the bench against Missouri the other day. Um, is it, I don't want to say jealousy, but, you know, a couple guys projected in mock drafts, Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson, it, could that be it? Or could it be, you know, something else I was thinking about is Rick Barnes did tell me this in the preseason. He said, look, we have some great veterans, but I don't know that they're great leaders right now. Eve Pons and John Fulkerson, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't want to quote him directly. I don't want you to say Rick Barnes said his leaders aren't good. But Rick Barnes said something to the effect of they are great leaders by example, but I need them to be leaders vocally and leaders emotionally. And I think that might be the case. But when I look at Tennessee, you know, this is a team that they're just not playing very good basketball right now. And, you know, we talk about teams that, um, you know, have tough stretches ahead. Tennessee's thankfully not in as bad of a shape as some of these other teams, but they do have Kansas in the big 12 SEC challenge. They do have to play at Kentucky. They do have to play at LSU. They do have to play at Florida all, all between now and Valentine's day, which is about two and a half weeks. So I don't have all the answers on Tennessee, but this is legitimately surprising because you talk about a veteran team an experienced team um, and a team that I'm just, I, I didn't think we were going to see this from them, uh, but they obviously still have time to figure it out. And I do think in the big picture, they'll be fine. Maybe this is just a tough part of the schedule where Alabama's better than we thought, where they caught Florida on the wrong night, where they caught Missouri the second game in conference after they beat Missouri bad. And I think it gets figured out. But I do think they have to kind of bring their own energy. You know, uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney's famous, bring your own guts. They need to bring their own energy. Um, but I just don't have an answer to what's going on right now. One last thing on Tennessee I do want to say, though, I do want to quickly wrap by talking about this, this AD hire from over the weekend. And one of the things I mentioned off the top is if you're not following the YouTube page, I would encourage you to do so because what I've been doing is a lot of times there are things that kind of fall through the gap and things that I can't get to over the course of a normal podcast. And so what I've been doing is just pulling out the podcast equipment 
and doing a short segment uh, for things that I can't get to on the podcast. And so on Thursday, when Danny White, the AD from Central Florida, was hired, I knocked out a segment on why I thought Danny White was an awesome hire and why this is exactly what Tennessee football and Tennessee athletic needs going forward. And to backtrack, you know, it does go back to last Monday, Jeremy Pruitt gets fired, all that stuff. And what I said on the show was very simply, Tennessee, I think, I still think they're going to attract a good coaching candidate. But for them to get that guy, they need to first hire an AD, okay? Because no coach in America, whether it is a retread like August Malzahn, Tom Herman, whether it is a sitting head coach, PJ Flex name came up over the weekend, nobody is going to take that job if they don't know who they are working for. And so I said, first of all, you need to go find an AD. Well, they did that on over the course of last week. They go went and got Danny White, one of the best young ADs in college athletics, uh, who is at Central Florida. And it's funny because I think a lot of you only know Danny White from the year that Central Florida went undefeated in the regular season and beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl and crowned themselves as national champs. I'm sure a lot of you probably think it's corny and think, oh, the guy's a clown. This guy's not legit. I'm just telling you, the guy is is really, really good and really, really well-respected in college sports. Uh, first of all, he's been around college sports forever. His dad is the longtime AD at uh, Duke. Uh, he has just recently announced his retirement. Ironically, Danny White, the new Tennessee AD, his brother is Mike White, Torres punching bag, head coach of Florida basketball. Um, but with Danny White, I give him credit because, one, he's been around college athletics his whole life. He played college basketball in Notre Dame. And as an AD, he has been about as lights out as anybody possibly could be in terms of his hires. What do I mean by that? For all the flack that Danny White has gotten for the UCF stuff, here is his resume. Started his career at Buffalo about a decade ago. First hire, Bobby Hurley as the basketball coach. Two years later, Bobby Hurley has Buffalo in the NCAA tournament for the first time. Bobby Hurley leaves to go to Arizona State. Know who he hires? Nate Oates. You know Nate Oates, the guy in Alabama that everybody loves, that everybody says is the like the hottest young coach in college basketball, can do no wrong, has Alabama at 8-0 or 7-0 in the SEC, whatever it is. Yeah, Danny White coming off an NCAA tournament where he could have gone out and gotten an established head coach decided to promote from within and hired Nate Oates to be the next head coach of that school. Safe to say that was a good hire. He hired Lance Leopold as the head coach at Buffalo in football. Kind of an incredible hire. The guy had coached D3, Wisconsin Whitewater, to multiple national championships. But I even remember when the hire was made. Well, it's different going from D3 to D1, and how's he going to recruit and all that kind of stuff. And, well, he's doing pretty good. He's won the division twice. He's won the MAC East twice. Danny White then gets to Central Florida. First hire, first football season, they go 0-12. You know who they hire? Scott Frost. Know what he does? Two years later, they go 13-0. UCF crowns themselves a national champion. They beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. Hired Josh Heupel to replace him. I believe it was a 10-win, 11-win season, 10-win season the first two years. This year was weird because of COVID. We'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt. That looks like a good hire. Johnny Dawkins got Central Florida to the NCAA tournament where they almost beat Duke. I mean, Danny White's resume is pretty impeccable. And so I think this was the guy for Tennessee. And what I like about him is what I just said a minute ago, is that 
I respect his success, one, hiring coaches. But what I like is the diversity in the hires. He went for the former star in Bobby Hurley, the name brand recognition guy. He went with the guy that was promoted from within that nobody had ever heard of that he knew was the right guy for the job, Nate Oates. He hired Lance Leopold from D3 when he said you couldn't make the jump from D3 to D1. Hired Johnny Dawkins, who was a retread. Hired Scott Frost, who had never been a head coach before. They all worked out. And so when it comes to Tennessee, I'm excited for what the future is. Now, he addressed it in his opening press conference. There's going to be issues. They've got to figure some things out. But he said, and I believe, the brand of Tennessee is still strong. People still want this job. And it's still a really good job, as I discussed last week when Jeremy Pruitt got fired. Now, I understand there's major NCAA stuff potentially coming down the road. And it's going to deter some head coaches. I don't know that's going to deter all of them, though. As I said a minute ago, the most recent name, P.J. Fleck. I don't know how serious it is. I'm recording here. It's almost midnight Eastern now on Sunday. That'd be a heck of a hire. I mean, for all the Fleck, first of all, I've interviewed P.J. Fleck, man. I'm a, a Fleck believer. I worship at the altar of Fleck. He's another one. Took West, well, I was going to say Wisconsin. Took Western Michigan from 0-12 to 12-0 in four years. Unbelievable. Built that program from the ground up. Goes to Minnesota. Complete disaster. By year three, he has them at 11 and two. And I believe I, I did the math. I don't remember the deal now. I think it was their first 10 plus. It was only their second 10 plus win season in a century. I know he was down this year, but I'm a, I'm a PJ Fleck believer. And I believe that Danny White is going to go out and get a good head coach for this job. So I just want to wrap on that because I do think that that was something that kind of fell through the cracks, but I think he's a great hire for Tennessee. And I give Tennessee credit for not only hiring a big name up and coming guy, but doing it quick. You couldn't wait two, three, four weeks to make this hire. It had to be done now. And now you got to go get a football coach, but I am excited to see what the future holds for this football program. And if Danny White ends up being the right guy. Long show. Fun show. Long show, but fun show. But that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm going to get out of here because uh, I've gone on way too long. Before I get out of here, though, I want to, first of all, thank you guys for all your support. Thank you guys for your patience with these technical difficulties. They will get addressed. They will get figured out. Shows will not sound like this going forward, and it will get better. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast iTunes, the podcast addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on pot on uh, tw- Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Find the YouTube page. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to all the Villanova fans out there. Learn what a blue blood is, people. I will be back later this week. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.